Did you know The Entrepreneur Studio is not only a podcast, but a resource of free online courses, tools, and tips? If you're ready to level up with easy and effective strategies, see the show notes of this episode or visit estudio.life to get started. Welcome back to The Entrepreneur Studio Podcast. Today, we have a special bonus episode featuring best-selling author and personal development expert, Mel Robbins. We recently had Mel on the podcast, and in response, we received questions from business owners and entrepreneurs from all across the country seeking Mel's advice. In this follow-up episode, Mel shares her invaluable insights on overcoming self-doubt and the imposter syndrome, also why wellness is a business strategy, and then the pros and cons of taking a leap of faith into pursuing your entrepreneurial dream full-time. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Chris Allen, and this is the Entrepreneur Studio Podcast, helping you run and grow a better business. Okay, so the episode with Mel was so amazing that you all avalanched us with questions. And so we thought, hey, what better moment to take than to ask you some of those questions and get some answers, right? So we've got a few of them here that people submitted. Looking forward to hearing your answers. Let's go. All right, question one. Amy, an entrepreneur from Chicago, says there's so much doom and gloom in the news right now. And sometimes it really gets to me. How can I maintain the optimism needed to stay motivated in the face of so much bad news? Amy, stop watching the news. Now, it sounds trite, right? But stop watching the news. First of all, there's profound research around why. Uh, Sean Anker, who's a famous happiness researcher out of Harvard, has found in his studies that simply watching a minute of news in the morning can have a negative impact on you for up to six to eight hours all day. And here's why this is critical. The most important resource that you have as a business owner is your time, your attention, and your energy. If you are giving your time, your attention, and your energy to either negative news or to social media, you are shooting yourself and your business right in the foot. And so I want you to start to take your time your attention, and your energy very, very seriously. Because whatever it is that you allow as input profoundly impacts your output. And one of the first things that you could do is remove watching the news or consuming news from your morning diet. Do not look at it. It does not concern you. I don't watch the news. Because what I know is that if there is something important going on, everybody around me will be talking about it, then I can choose to tune in or not. Second thing you should do is you should immediately go to your social media accounts, and I want you to get extremely just, selfish is even the wrong word. I want you to get strategic about the accounts that you follow. If the accounts that you're following on social media this is all input. You are, you are voluntarily giving your attention, time, and energy to other accounts, to brands, to influencers, to people. If that input is not lifting you up, is not making you smarter, is not helping you focus in business, delete. If you're scared about what Aunt Susie Q is going to do when you unfollow her, you can just hit mute. But you have to start taking the input that you are getting 
profoundly seriously because it does impact the output. It's good stuff. All right, uh, Alex, e-commerce clothing store owner in LA asks, when there are lulls and slow times in your small business, how do you decide if it's time to A, hang it up and close your business, B, pivot the direction of your business, or C, keep pushing through the slow sales period? Okay, so I want you to use the four Ps, okay? We're gonna talk about project, process, product, and people. And by the project, I want you to look at any slow period in your business as a research project. That's how we're gonna attack this, okay? And when there is a slow period in your business, you are more than capable of figuring out either how to weather it or how to pivot your business to make it work, okay? And so we're gonna look at three things because part of the thing that happens when you go through a lull is you start to get emotional about it and you make it personal and you don't turn it into a research project, okay? Any lull in your business is an opportunity to upgrade. And I'm gonna use the pandemic as an example. Do you know how many businesses went through rapid innovation because of the lull that got created in either sales or in uh, shipping or in some other kind of process? And I realized that it had a devastating impact in so many other businesses. But if you get strategic about this, you can use these periods as giving you the time back to be able to innovate your own business. And so you're gonna look at three things after you've turned this into a research project. You gotta look at process, product, and people because the innovation and the challenges that you're facing are in one of those three categories. So process is something about your systems. It could be about shipping. If you're running an e-commerce business, here's what I know. This is a marketing problem because e-commerce businesses are all about marketing. They're all about sales funnels. They're all about the photographs you're taking. They're all about the keywords that you're using. They're all about the campaigns that you're running. They're all about the integrations that you're using with social media. And there is somewhere in the breakdown of your e-commerce business in one of those foundational processes, and the lull is going to allow you to do it. And so that's number one. Number two, product. Is there something about the product in your e-commerce business? Is it stale? Have you run through the trend on a certain thing? Are you mark like, this is really important for you to look at. So process number one, product number two, the third is people. Do you have too many? Do you have the wrong people? Is your sister still running your social media strategy? Do you need to upgrade to somebody who knows what they're doing? Or are you the people we're talking about? And if it's you, that means you're not connected to the why anymore. Like maybe you started this business because you wanted to make some extra money. It was a real quick win. But now the hustle that's involved, the margins that are involved, you're just not in it as much. So it's not really that there's a lull. It's that you're not putting into it what you need to put into it. So using those four Ps, turn it into a research project, take a look at your processes, take a look at the product, take a look at the people, including yourself. That's probably the place to start. That is how you're going to figure out the answer to that question. Great answer. Number three, this is Melanie, also an entrepreneur in LA. Launching a startup is hard and I find it easy to get distracted by other projects and jobs. We talked a little bit about this in the episode. How can I keep my motivation and focus on my own business? Okay, so what you're describing, Melanie, is the single biggest obstacle to your business. 
because self-doubt actually manifests in procrastination. And there is a form of what I call business procrastination, where you are busy doing everything but your business, right? You are avoiding the things that feel hard because it's easier to wash the dishes. It's easier to send out that email. It's easier to fold your laundry. It's easier to go to a yoga class. It's easier to fiddle around on Pinterest than to do the actual work to grow your business. And here's the way that I think about this. Number one, first of all, you have done the hardest part, which is having the self-awareness that you're doing it. So that's a really important thing because procrastination, when it comes to things that you need to do or want to do, it can become a habit. And believe it or not, procrastination, when you look at the research, it is triggered by stress. And when you blow off things that feel hard, you're trying to get relief from your stress. And so your business probably stresses you out. That's why you're doing easier things. And that's why you're avoiding it. And so number one, congratulations, because you have the self-awareness to realize that you're doing it. My philosophy about everything when I realize I've got a problem is how do I make this easier? How do I make this easier on myself? And so here's what I would recommend. I would think a lot about where do you do your best work? And for me, I'm easily distracted too. And so if I have to get deep work done or I have to do things that I'm avoiding, I get out of my house. I get out of my office. I'll go to a coffee shop. There's something about the ambient noise that actually makes me focus. The single most effective place for me to work is an airplane seat. Why? I'm strapped in. There's nowhere to go. The Wi-Fi is usually crappy. And so I can open up something that I really need to dig into and I can put my head down and get it done. There's also this concept that I want to explain that has been a game changer for me. There are five zones of time in the day. Five zones of time. I finally realized this. This is something I've been researching. I'm like, oh my God, there are five zones of time. So zone number one is when you wake up. You own that time. That is your time. And so many of you just casually hand it over to the internet. You look at your phone, you check your emails, and zone one, in my opinion, is the only time that you have that is yours. And you have to fight for it. Zone two begins the moment you check your email or your phone or you turn on your TV because you have turned your attention over to someone or something else. Zone three happens the second you start your workday because you have traded your time and attention for a paycheck or you have traded your time and attention to earn profits for your business. That is not your time. Do not get mad at your job. Do not get mad at your business because you are exchanging time and energy and attention in order to get money, period. Zone number four typically happens around hmm, three o'clock, that's when most of us start tapping out in terms of our mindset, but we're still sitting at our business, we're still sitting at work. And it's sort of that blurry zone of you're kind of not, you're not gonna get any great work done there. And then zone five, and, and, and zone four, by the way, also expands into going home. You're cooking dinner, you're doing all this. It's sort of this gray zone of transitioning from work into the rest of your life. Zone five happens when you turn off the TV. At the, night, at the end of the night. Mm -hmm. That is also time that you could own, but
but you are probably, unless you're somebody that does your best work at night and you get that kind of night owl thing, you will be better suited to think about how to get sleep, which you need, so that when you wake up tomorrow and you have zone one, you actually know what to do with it. That's good. And so the more that I have focused on zone one and zone five in my life, the more productive I become, the less stressed I become, the more I understand kind of what time throughout the day is, what expectations to have around it, the less resentment I feel, and it helps a lot. It's really good. All right, number four, how did you successfully transition from being one of the many voices on social media and podcasts discussing everyday life challenges to becoming a prominent figure in the self-help industry? Catherine wants to know, can you share your insights into the strategies that helped you propel to this level? Yeah, I think one of the biggest insights is if everything is important, nothing is. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to have a game plan for a year about what is going to be the singular focus that you're going to really care about the most because you can't care about everything. And so if you think about my career, there's a lot that's public and a lot that's private. So the public facing things in my career are what everybody sees. It's the 10 million followers. It's the you know hit podcast. It's the books that I've published. But that's not the heart and soul of my business. I have been leapfrogging. Remember that game where you hop over the next person and they hop over? I've been leapfrogging my way to the position that I'm in now. And it's been a toggle between things that I do publicly and things that are happening in the background. So a lot of people don't realize that I was for many years the most sought after and booked female speaker on the corporate circuit. I did nothing but go to stages around the world working with the world's biggest brands at these massive sales events or corporate retreats, speaking and teaching and sharing research and training people. And that's where I gained all my expertise is the work I was doing privately that nobody knows about. That's where I started to gain a huge following that was not on social media and a tremendous level of respect and all of this sort of uh, skill that was, that was being built in the background. And so what I wanna really have you think about is what is the one thing that you would wanna focus on mastering this year? So about six or seven years ago, for me, the one thing I really wanted to master is I wanted to somehow figure out how to take the things going on in private and make it part of our social media strategy. And so I did what I always do with anything I'm trying new that I wanna master. I became a student of it before I executed it. And so I studied people six years ago that were doing really cool things on social media, like Gary Vaynerchuk. I started studying a lot of the viral companies that repackage and curate information, like Upworthy. I mean, there's so many OGs. I mean, now it's like the meme city out there. Everybody has like kind of these viral strategies, but back in the day, that was not what everybody did. And so I was looking at EllenTube, I was looking at YouTube, I was picking everything apart and I was becoming a student of it. And then I started to apply what I was learning. When I got into the podcast business, I had done audiobooks and audiobook productions for partners like Audible, but I had never launched a podcast. And so I studied it for two years. 
I watched meticulously what my buddy Jay Shetty was doing. I watched meticulously what the number one female podcast host was doing, who is Alex Cooper, who is on Spotify. She uh, hosts a show called Call Her Daddy, but she's only on Spotify, so who knows what the download numbers are now. And so I just meticulously watched the people that I really admired. I watched Howard Stern. I watched Delilah on radio, and I picked apart what they were doing. I became a student of it, and it took me two years Two years of studying, two years of managing a pivot in my business, but it was the number one thing that I was focused on. The thing that I'm focused on now is YouTube. Now that we have nailed over the course of the last year, having now launched our podcast and completely destroying it in terms of download numbers and success and reach and growth, now I'm pivoting and I'm now tearing apart YouTube because I see that as the single biggest way to reach more people. And so every move that I've made has been a combination of either something that I've picked privately, like I'm going to be the number one female speaker in the world. That's what I'm going to do. And then I became that. I'm going to take all these private conversations and I'm going to figure out how to put those on social media because these conversations between me and somebody at a grocery store or on a sidewalk are way more compelling than these things I'm saying on a stage. And then I'm like, I, I feel called to launch a podcast. There are 6 million podcasts on Spotify alone. How the hell am I going to do this? How am I going to like figure this out? How am I going to change my business? Most podcasts don't make any money. If I stop speaking, where's the money going to come from? How am I going to pay for my team? And so I became a student of it. Now it's about YouTube. What is the kind of content we want to create? What does it feel like? What 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 the successful channels do? I don't want it to look like that. What do I? And so pick something for the year that you want to master and become a student of it. Then execute. That's my advice. Good advice. All right, Gia, owner of the Brush Bar in Scottsdale is asking, uh, imposter syndrome is real, especially as you try new things and grow in your career. Once you push through and decide to make change or make a change, what are some tangible things you can do in the short term to build your confidence? So, great question. The research around confidence is very clear. Confidence is not a feeling. Here's a new definition of confidence. Confidence is the willingness to try. Confidence is the willingness to try. And the reason why this definition is critical is because the research shows that confidence, as we talk about it like a feeling, is gained from competency. Competency is a fancy word that basically means you know what you're doing. And the only way to know what you're doing is to practice it over and over and over again. And when you practice something, you start to gain skills and you lose your resistance and your fear around it. And that's where the feeling of confidence comes in. But in order to gain confidence, which is why I like the definition, you have to be willing to try something you've never done before. And so you have confidence and you display confidence when you're willing to try something. That's it. And so you got to keep that definition in mind. That's number one. Number two, it really helps me when I'm learning a new skill to imagine a bridge. I believe that all transitions and all like learning curves are just bridges. You start on one side and you have to cross a bridge and it's going to get you to the other side. Some bridges are like that one in San Francisco. Long, it's covered in clouds, you can't see the other side, but you know eventually you're going to get there if you just keep putting one foot in front of the other. 
you just keep trying. Another thing I want you to understand is that the single most confident thing that anybody could say is a three-word sentence. Most confident thing. I don't know. When somebody is in a meeting and they're asked a question and you say, I don't know, but I can find out. I don't know. Don't you immediately trust that person? Mm -hmm. Of course. It takes a lot of confidence to just say that in a room. And so what I want you to understand is imposter syndrome only means you're on the bridge. The way you cross the bridge is waking up every day and just trying, just being willing to try. You don't have to have all the answers. You have to have the courage to say, I don't know. And when you focus on just waking up every day and trying, you build the skills, which lowers the resistance and fear, which makes you competent, which then makes you catch up to feeling confident. Super helpful. Number six, Gia has a follow-on question. What advice would you give to someone as the thing that helped to propel you the fastest? Was it mentorship, joining communities, hiring PR, bringing on a partner? What was the thing that changed the game? Well, I'll tell you the thing that doesn't, hiring PR. I personally believe that's a waste of money. Your customers are your single biggest PR and your social media. Get serious about that. And nobody's going to do it as well as you do. So that's number one. Number two, mentorship is great if you have a mentor that has the time to be engaged. Otherwise, mentorship can feel awesome in the beginning, and then you start to feel like you're chasing somebody. So I feel that the fastest things that have propelled me is number one, joining communities. See, the mistake that we always make is we think that our competitors are against us. There is so much success and opportunity to go around. The very people that you think you're competing with should be your closest allies because you can learn from them. And if you're worried about the people that are in your kind of business around you, get into an online community with other entrepreneurs. Because when you're in a community, you share back and forth. It's not a one-way situation that a mentor can be. You need to be with other people that day in and day out are running a small retail business or running the kind of business that you're running and learn from them. What you will learn from them is going to pay back dividends that I can't even put money on because here's the thing. Your family has no idea what you're going through. Your friends have no idea what you're going through. They don't run the business. Yeah. But other people, even if they're running a retail business or a service business that's different than what you're offering, they freaking get it. That's why you're listening to this podcast because we freaking get it. And so the more you're around those communities, the better. Second thing, bringing on a partner. This is a minefield because we think a partner will solve all our problems. Mm. Let me tell you something. The wrong partner will create more problems. And you want to tread very carefully in this area because we way too quickly turn over authority to someone else and give people a stake in something that we've built because we're overwhelmed and because we have not taken the time to truly problem solve where the pain points are in the business. And so do not make the mistake of thinking that a partner is going to solve all your problems. The right partner will, but I say this because in building my business over the last 10 years, I 
had a partner who was fantastic, and then that partner was really horrible. And that partner was also not happy and knew that it was not a good fit. And so when you kind of grow, you I would recommend that you try to grow and you hire in expertise. And what ends up happening is that the right person as you are hiring an expertise will start to appear and act like a partner. Mm -hmm. Now, that's for an existing business. If you're starting a business, it's great to start with a partner because then it's not as lonely. Um, but if you have an existing business and you think a partner's gonna solve all your problems, you're wrong. I would hire an expertise and then if the person is partnership material, based on how they're operating in the role, that will become evident. Yeah, yeah, great stuff. Tasha says, as a business owner for a few years now, I've continued my day job to provide for my family and let the business income balance. It's now been three years and I believe I'm ready to run my business full time, but when do you truly know when it's time to take that leap of faith and how do you justify the pros and cons? So there's a huge difference between taking a leap of faith and making a decision to step in a business. I'm gonna say that again. There is a huge difference between taking a leap of faith and making a decision to step into a business. One of those is just like, let's go. Okay, I'm tired of doing both. The other is a calculated risk where you have looked at cash flow, you understand your budget and the income that you need in order to pay your bills. You have cut back on your spending in order to give yourself a bigger runway. That is a calculated risk. And that is the definition of stepping into a business, that you've actually looked at the numbers, you understand the runway that you have, and that you are comfortable tolerating the risk. And the reason why this is important is because too many people make the leap instead of making the decision. And when you make the leap too soon, you put unnecessary pressure on your business. And when you start to feel the pressure financially, you are not going to perform well as a business owner. And I pulled some research on this because I think this is really important because I do want to acknowledge you, Tasha, for keeping your day job while you let the business income balance. That is a crazy smart decision and it's supported by the research. So I'm gonna read here that entrepreneurs who keep their day jobs are more successful. A robust study of entrepreneurs from researchers at University of Wisconsin-Madison found that those who kept their day jobs, at least at first, were 33% less likely to fail in their new venture. Adam Grant, the youngest tenured professor at Wharton University of Pennsylvania School of Business, put it this way, quitting your full-time job to start a company is like proposing marriage on the first date. The most durable businesses are typically started by people who play it safe. Don't go in all guns blazing. Start it off as a hobby and see if it takes off. That's exactly what you've done, Tasha. You're now three years into this. It is not a hobby. It is taking off. The business income has balanced you are already showing us based on your decision-making that you are making a calculated decision, that you are, based on the research, 33% less likely to fail, and that you have not 
like created this huge risk. So you're a genius. And now you just need to make the decision instead of taking the leap. Good stuff. Uh, Laura, who's an entrepreneur in Kansas City, asks, wellness and self-care are all over the place. As a driven entrepreneur, I have a hard time believing in anything but hard work and hitting goals. And that's just so I can grow my business. That said, I'm tired and feel signs of burning out from time to time. What self-care should I invest in? I don't have time for trips to the spa, let alone a vacation. <laughs> so I need you to hear me loud and clear. Wellness and self-care is a business strategy. This is so important because entrepreneurs in particular are horrible at life balance. And, you know, I shouldn't even use that word life balance because there is really no balance. Like you're always going to be working because no one's going to care as much as your biz about your business as you. But here's what I want you to understand. And this was a huge wake up call for me. When you are constantly burning the candle at all ends, you're frying your nervous system. And there is research from Dr. Judith Willis out of UCLA who studies the connection between a stressed out nervous system and brain functioning. When your nervous system is on edge because you're working all the time and everything's important because nothing is, and you think busyness is success and you think everything has to be done today and you are up until the wee hours and you have no life and you're constantly thinking and constantly on your phone, you are not able to tap in to the full capacity of executive functioning. Your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight, fight, flee, freeze, overworking, entrepreneurial nervous system, impairs your prefrontal cortex. So your speed of processing, your working memory, your clarity, your ability to engage in strategic thinking and decision-making, impaired. And I'm on a mission to get every entrepreneur and small business owner to understand that your nervous system regulation, meaning being able to have moments where you can take a breath, where you can drop into your body, where you're not on your phone, this isn't for wellness. This is so that your business is better. And it makes sense. Can you drive a car 24 hours a day? No, you'll fry the engine. You'll run out of gas. You're doing the same thing to yourself and it is killing your business. And one of the things that I've done in the last three years is when I read this research from Dr. Judith Willis, it was you know during the pandemic, and I realized I have been Laura. I have since 2014 been sprinting and working 100-hour weeks and calling it success. And when I finally went, wait a minute, how could I possibly be the best I could be in this business if I never take a break? How could I possibly make good decisions if I'm running from this thing to this thing to this thing? How could I possibly innovate or be smarter about what I'm doing if I am always on my phone and always in the middle of a fire? The fact is you can't. And so this is not about self-care. This is about ritualizing in your daily routine 
the ability to take a pause, to step away, so that your freaking brain can help you. Because you're not helping your brain if you're operating like this. And the other thing that I can't stand is that we've sort of romanced this hustle culture, which might work for single guys, but it does not work for anybody with a family. It does not work for people that are taking care of kids. It does not work for most women. And if you're working all the time, you're not working smart. And so here's what I would say. Here's some things that I think you need to do. And this is not about a spa. It's not about a vacation. But if you think taking a vacation is a problem, that's a problem because you do need to step away. The research is also very clear that you will come up with your best ideas when you are away from your business. You will come up with your best ideas when you're taking a bath. You'll come up with your best ideas when you're outside taking a walk without your phone or without listening to anything in your ears. And so here's some simple things that I do that I see as not only self-care and wellness and for my health, but I see this as essential pieces of my business. So I wake up when the alarm rings and I roll out of bed. The phone is not near me. I do not look at my phone because this is zone one of the five zones of time. I walk into, or I make my bed. I always make my bed first thing in the morning because there's this momentum to just having it done. I walk into the bathroom. I have 16 ounces of water. I keep a mason jar right there and I just drink 16 ounces of water. I look in the mirror. I high five myself into the day. And then I get outside and I take a minimum of a 10 minute walk. Just, a, that's all I need, a 10 minute walk. And here's the thing about the walk. I walk like I'm light. And if I remember to, I try to smile occasionally. Now, the reason why I'm taking this walk, I might have my phone in my fanny pack with my dog treats because I take my dog, and I literally walk down the driveway and walk back up. 10 minutes, walking like you're late. First of all, it'll add years on your life. Secondly, it's a way to boost your mood. Third, you are getting exposure to bright light, which resets your circadian rhythms, which will help you with sleep. Hugely important, okay? Um, so 10 minutes, walk like you're late outside, that's my walk. I haven't looked at my phone yet. Really, really, really important. Next thing, I sit down and I just have a notebook and I just kind of freeform dump my thoughts because I typically have all kinds of ideas that come yeah. while I'm outside. And also, you're not listening to anything. You're not on the phone. You're not listening to a podcast. You're not looking at social media when you're walking. You are letting all five senses come alive. Do this when it's raining, you still get the UV. Then I um, go in, I take a blank piece of paper. There's always some kinds of ideas. I write down all my ideas. And then I pick the one thing that is my priority for the day. The one thing. That's it. That's it. Because I know that my whole day is going to go to responding to things. But there is one thing that I can inch forward, the progress principle. Make 15 minutes of progress, right? Then I always send a quick text or video message to a friend or family member. That's changed loneliness for me. It's made me really proactive about friendships, which has been a game changer. And then I grab my hot 15. And when I grab my hot 15, hot 15 for me is 15 minutes making progress on something that matters. And then I'm allowed to look at email. And that's when zone two starts. And the only other variation on this is after my walk, if I do have time, that's when I'll 
get exercise in. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That, that right there is wellness. It's protecting my mind. And the other thing that has made a huge difference for me is prioritizing sleep. The more successful I get, the older I get, the earlier I go to bed because your sleep is not just about you resting. It is profoundly important for memory. It is profoundly important for your brain health. And it literally makes me better at the work that I do. And it sure as hell makes me more money. Mm -hmm. So you will make more money when you start to take your brain health and breaks from work and being smarter about time on and time off, way more yeah, serious. I love the trade that you said earlier about trading some of your zone five for your zone one, which is yeah. which is your time. Mm -hmm. Really, really awesome stuff. Self-care is a business strategy. All right, last question. Laura's asking, I have a business idea, but I'm scared to execute because I don't know how I could possibly balance life as a busy entrepreneur with being a wife and a mom. Being a woman entrepreneur seems impossible. What tips do you have, Mel? Um, so this is a question about self-doubt. That's all that this is. And I don't know what messaging Laura has gotten, but I personally think being a female entrepreneur is one of the most amazing things you could do for your kids because you are modeling what it looks like to have something purposeful in your life that means something to you and waking up every morning and doing the work to chip away at it. And you know, to every mom and dad out there, don't you want your kids to live a life where they pursue something meaningful to them? Well, who's gonna teach them that? You are. And so that's number one. Number two is because this is about self-doubt, you know, maybe you didn't have female entrepreneurs in your life. Maybe you've been getting a lot of messaging about what your role is. You got to change the story. And there is something that we can provide to you or whatever, but it's something that I use called the iceberg model. It is a design systems thinking model where you take a look at how the story that you tell yourself ladders up to the actions that you're actually taking. So the story that you tell yourself, which already we know is, I can't balance life as an entrepreneur. I can't be a business owner as a wife and a mom. Being a woman entrepreneur is impossible. That's the story you're telling. Oh yeah. So then that ladders up to this belief that it's gonna be impossible for me to do this, which then ladders up to the actions that you're taking, which is you're not, you're just thinking. And just thinking that this is impossible, yet still wanting to do it, ladders up to the ultimate thing, which is, of course you don't have any results. Of course you haven't done it. Why would you? If the story that you're telling yourself is that, how could I possibly balance this? So we have to attack this at the story level. And here's the thing that's missing, Laura. You have a business idea, but I don't know why you wanna do this. Just having a business idea isn't enough. How many times have you been in a conversation and somebody's like, I thought of Uber before they did. Okay, great, so what? Here's a medal. You didn't do anything about it. And this is where the rubber meets the road. And so a couple pieces of advice. Number one, the idea is not enough. I'd do some work on why. Why would you wanna do this for yourself? Would it make you proud to do this? Would it make you feel awesome to create some extra income and be able to do some fun things for the family and for yourself? 
is this idea something that feels like it might bring out a part of you, your creativity, uh, service that has gone dormant because you've poured so much into the role of being a wife and a mom, which is an amazing thing to do, but there's something about you individually that you haven't tended to? Is that what this is about? So figure that out. And then I would 1,000% try to model up from a different story that um, being a female entrepreneur is one of the best things I could do for myself and my family. And if you believe that, you'll start to see actions that you could take and you'll start to see results happening. And so I would start with the belief, I would start with why, I would then start working at this story that you're telling yourself and change it because it's not impossible. Not at all. Mm -hmm. There's millions and millions and millions of us. And in fact, there are more of us every single day. And I think it's the single greatest thing that you could do as a woman. And then the final thing is, I would a thousand percent take on the role of being a student of this. Look at your social media. Who are you following? Are you following celebrities and you're just gawking at their lives? Or are you following female entrepreneurs? that are every single day in your social media feed, your board of directors and mentors that are pouring into you and inspiring you and showing you that you could do this. And so I would spend a student, I, I would spend a year being a student. And what'll happen is it's not gonna take a year because if you were to get rid of all the influencers and start following women in business and consuming this content and allowing it to pour into you, you're gonna to start to realize, oh my God, it's not only possible, all these people are doing it. And it looks really fun. And I think I could do this. And I think it would be really cool. And I think that something would come alive in me. And all of a sudden you're gonna to wanna to do it. And everything's gonna flip. Well, these questions, they represent thousands of people. And you know, we only picked a few. If you were to summarize everything that you, you sort of heard and you had one thing to say in summary to all of these you know, possible thousands of questions out there, what would you say? The single biggest obstacle that is in your way is the self-doubt and the, the internal critic. Anytime you're gonna try something new, whether it is a new business strategy or a new product line or a new pricing model on a service or a new piece of technology or a new role that you're hiring for in your business, every time you do it, it's a risk you are stepping into the unknown, it's true. Mm -hmm. And in those moments where you're about to try something new, fear is always gonna show up. It's always gonna be there. You're always going to hesitate. And the secret is expecting the fear and understanding that fear is literally just a sign that you're about to try something. And even though you feel nervous or afraid or you start questioning it, you can still lean into it. You can still do it. And I can give you an example of this because we all struggle with it. What do you think the most famous tagline for any brand is in the whole world? Just do it. Just do it, right? Yeah. What is the most powerful word in that tagline? Do. No. Okay. Just. All right. You want to know why? Tell me why. Think about Nike's tagline being do it is that that inspiring no just do it the just acknowledges this moment of hesitation mm. 
that we can all relate to. Yeah. Yeah. Every athlete standing on the sideline, hesitating about jumping in the game. Every person at the starting line, hesitating as they're in the starting blocks. There is that just moment in every decision that you make. And what I'm here to tell you is that we all feel it. It's there every single day. And that is where your whole life plays out. Are you going to stand on the sideline and think about it and talk yourself out of it and wait another day and another week and another year and then all of a sudden a decade goes by? Or are you going to feel that hesitation and just do it? Got to shrink the inner critic and just do it. And you shrink the inner critic with action. It's beautiful stuff. Thanks for all the wisdom. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for inviting me. Until next time. Indeed. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Entrepreneur Studio Podcast. For more information on how we can help you build, run, and grow better businesses, visit estudio.life or see the show notes of this episode. The Entrepreneur Studio is available in both audio and video formats. If you like video, please subscribe to the Entrepreneur Studio YouTube channel. If you prefer audio podcasts, the Entrepreneur Studio is available on all podcasting apps. 